And welcome to another edition of the Beer Vana Podcast, Jeff. Patrick Emerson. Jeff Hallworth. We have, not, we have not sat down on this table for a while. It has. We've been a little bit remiss. We we've have. let the podcast linger a little too long, so our apologies. Good to be back in the saddle. But we're coming, we're coming back hard, man. We're, <laughs> we're coming back with some major content here. Are you saying that we were crappy earlier and now we're going like, to clean things N- up? Never, never. This is... <laughs> This is a very uh, high-value podcast with lots and lots of hours and hours of prep and research that go into it. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, welcome to the Beer Vana Podcast. With me, as always, is Jeff Allworth, author of The Beer Bible from Workman Publishing, Cider Made Simple from Chronicle Books, uh, other books, toolkits, various beery things uh, are coming. Uh, he blogs at Beervana. He uh, blogs and writes for All About Beer. Uh, and does many other things. I don't know. And you are Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University. I am. <clears throat> Excuse me. And um, you are a co-host of this podcast, which means that you get a lot of invitations to speak, <laughs> and I somehow get none. So this is really working for you. So it, that's, I'm glad to see that. That's that. You know, it, it occurs to me that the market is now speaking, and I think the value of this podcast <laughs> is clear. I always assumed it was you, but it turns out no. What you have to offer is. I just know I not worth so much. I can talk about beer. People want to know about the business of beer. Actually, <laughs> but in all seriousness, people are interested in this idea about what is the future of craft beer, where is craft beer going? That's it right. Make, it makes sense. It's an industry that's been on an amazing growth tra- trajectory and it's something we've talked about a lot. But yeah, people people are interested in, in discussing that further. So it's a multi billion dollar industry and if people could figure out where it was headed, that would be worth a lot of money to them. So Yeah. Exactly. Economists probably may have some value. Whereas I'd say, so anyway, this beer tastes good. <laughs> well, <laughs> the I'm value right. on that. Ironically, today's podcast, actually. <laughs> uh, uh, we are podcasting uh, the last week of, the last full week of July, which means that it is time for the Oregon Brewers Festival. Um, it is the 29th edition of the annual festival that takes place on the Waterfront Park and the lovely, the banks of the lovely Willamette River in downtown Portland, Oregon. Rhymes with damn it. Rhymes with damn it. Uh, and uh, we are here to give you your Oregon Brewers Festival preview. Uh, we know that many listener, listeners won't have the opportunity to travel to this year's uh, festival. So we'll be talking about the kinds of uh, trends, the beer styles that are popping up, the themes that we are seeing so that uh, we can talk about um, it as a, a view, uh, view into the future of, of craft brewing or perhaps just a um, uh, evidence of where craft brew is now. Right. A momentary snapshot. A momentary snapshot. So um, it is beautiful outside. It is hot and sunny. It is almost too hot for us Oregonians. It's, it's, no. <laughs> it's yeah, it's pushing. past 80 degrees. And it's, past, <laughs> yeah, it's past 85 degrees. It's almost time to hunker down. Uh, it got to 86. But it so should those, be. It should those be. of you who are really in suffering, yeah. <laughs> great on a curve. That's place. right. Apparently there's a heat dome across the rest of the United States. <laughs> Uh, I feel sorry for you, um, but I pity myself more. <laughs> it's going to be a great weekend for the Oregon Brewers Fest, so if you're listening to this right away as we as we publish, you should get yourself down. Um, we, of course, are going on the first day, as always. We'll be part of the 
parade, which anyone can join in. That's right. Uh, and we'll get there first thing, first day, which is always a recommendation. And here's a hot tip if you don't know about this. When you go in, um, the parade, uh, the, the folks who are doing the parade will escort a giant cask, of, a wooden cask of beer. And when you get in there, you can get a free full pour from that cask if you know about it. You don't even have to do the parade, but you have to be there right at uh, the opening bell on the first day to get your, your free mug of beer. That's right. Do we know what the cask is this year? I don't. Um, yeah, it's don't. not. It, it almost, for the last many years, it started out at a brewery, and the brewery that uh, it started out at, that the, the parade started out at, would provide the cask. Mm-hmm. But this time it started out in the Melody Ballroom, so I don't know what to say. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, we'll see when we get there. I guess we will. <clears throat> okay. So we will get to the uh, to our uh, preview our, of the Oregon Brewers Festival. We'll highlight some beers that we uh, we think are particularly interesting and that we're excited to try. Uh, we'll talk about trends and and the like. Um, but before we do, uh, as always, uh, it's time for the news. A little bit of news before the fun, and uh, quite a bit of news since we last uh, spoke. <laughs> but following a similar theme to most of our news, totally mergers and acquisitions, folks. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of what our our uh, news session has started out with. Um, so we didn't. The one thing we didn't talk about was which order we're going to do. do who, should I take the first one, or do you want to take the first you one? You should take the first one because okay. I'm tired of mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. Well, the first. The, the, uh, so the we had an acquisition. Uh, and we had uh, the merger. So the merger of uh, AB InBev and Miller, uh, SAB Miller was approved by the United States Department of Justice. Mm-hmm. And that's not surprising. But what is interesting and surprising is um, the limitations they put on the merger right. uh, when, they, when they allowed this to go forward. And they're, and they're actually substantial. So they would, I think if you're a fan of small breweries and are worried that this would affect small breweries, there's a lot to like in the, the judgment by the, the DOJ here. Um, the first thing that they demanded, and this I think uh, ABI knew going in, was that um, the American version of SAB Miller, which is yep. called Miller Coors, right. um, which everyone knows, um, they would have to spin that off to an independent in- entity. Right. Uh, and uh, so that was a component. But the other two components were interesting. They were, uh, involved distribution. The first is that ABI cannot control. So this is a fascinating thing a lot of people don't understand is Anheuser-Busch owns some distributorships in the United States. So they own the first two tiers of the three-tiered system. Right. Which at some point we should talk about whether that's cool or not. That always struck me as a really bizarre prospect. But they do. And the DOJ said they could only own 10% of distribution in the country. They couldn't own any more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a put a, a cap on that. And the second thing, and this is, I think, the most important thing for, for uh, small breweries, is they said that uh, uh, re- recently Anheuser-Busch said that they would be encouraging their distributors to only distribute Anheuser-Busch products, which is really important uh, from Anheuser Busch's perspective, because they're developing this whole portfolio of craft brands, right? So they could conceivably offer an entire flavor portfolio to every distributor, right? The DOJ says no, you can't do that. You have to carry other brands. They have to allow distributors to carry other brands if they want, right? So that's a, a big, uh, a big uh, brushback from the DOJ. Yeah, because market access is the big fear of of independent craft brewers, right? And um, and it's a real fear in the '90s. Uh, Anheuser-Busch did this, and it was it was really bad for small breweries. Yeah, just to get off on a quick, quick pedantic riff, because that's my forte. Uh, 
uh, <laughs> uh, the the Department of Justice, the Federal Trade Commission, and the Federal Communications Commission all employ uh, PhD economists who, um, whenever any big merger and acquisition is proposed, will do a full analysis. Um, and then there's always a bunch of economists on the other side as well, employed by, in this case, uh, ABE InBev, hmm. um, to provide their own market analysis. Um, and they go through and they look at exactly these issues. You know, how much concentration will they be? Will it, will there be? Uh, will it create a um they they have a term of art i won't use it but essentially will it create a, a sustained price increase um is there enough market concentration that consumers will suffer um will prices go up uh and often in these big mergers and acquisitions there's lots of components so distributing is one component uh domestic markets is another and um uh, in this case with the miller course bit uh so um uh there is, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of due diligence that goes on um, and there are a lot of people out there who are, whose um, charge is to make sure that uh, consumers are uh, well served by this uh, merger and acquisition and to make sure that there isn't these long, long-term anti-competitive effects. Um, which is one reason why I'm a little bit sanguine when these mergers and acquisitions come up, because I know these people and many of my friends went off in this direction after graduate school, uh, and they're very intelligent, uh, very smart economists out there who are, who are looking. So uh, there's my little plug for, uh, for the work of economists in this case. And so this is the kind of thing you often see as a negotiated settlement where um, some parts, uh, there are some things that they have to do, they have to address that the, that, uh, the government economists are worried about. It only just occurred to me, there's another wrinkle here that relates to an earlier podcast about the Brexit, when we were talking about the Brexit. Uh -huh. I wondered how might, that might affect beer. And we st stumbled around and tried to come up with some reasons, and I think uh, it was a, a, a soft pitch there, really. But here, the Brexit may actually affect this trade deal, which is so, uh, really fascinating. Fortune had an article last week that, and I'm gonna, I'm just gonna read from Fortune, and okay. I'll let you. I'm, I'm springing this on you, so you can react to it as a, as an economist. Okay. The takeover of the London-listed brewer, that's S. A. B. Miller, uh, has come under scrutiny in recent weeks as a drop uh, in the British currency has reduced the relative attractiveness of the all cash offer aimed at most SAB shareholders. Hmm. A source familiar with the matter told Reuters on Wednesday that the company's board was weighing the terms of AB InBev's offer amid rising shareholder disquiet. Ah. So that's kind of a fascinating uh, quirk here. The Brexit may have some influence after all in beer. That's right. Yeah, interesting. That one I hadn't, I hadn't anticipated when, uh, <laughs> when we were talking through that. Uh, so yeah, lots of moving parts in this. We'll see yeah. how it all shakes out. Right. And then related to that, um, uh, the, the last part of our mer merger and acquisition news is Miller Coors this uh, last week announced that they were buying Terrapin Brewing, right. uh, which they had already owned a minority share of, so it was probably not so shocking. Yeah. But, so, and they're in Georgia. Right. Uh, okay, so the next uh, news item is um, about hop production. You actually wrote about this recently. Hop production is way, way up. Uh, not only are craft beers growing crazily, but also the crazy hoppy craft beers are, right. are really popular. Uh, and so it takes a lot of hops to make a super hoppy IPA. Uh, so apparently hop production has grown 18.5% since last year. It's uh, at an all-time high of 53,000 uh, plus acres planted, um, which is double the amount of acreage planted in 2004. 
uh, of those acres, around 40,000 acres are aroma hops, indicating the huge influence of craft beer, IPAs essentially, uh, in driving acreage growth. So lots of new hop fields are being planted to support all of these super hoppy uh, aroma IPAs. Yeah, very cool. Very interesting. And then for our folks outside of, of Oregon and Washington who don't follow the hop future so closely, one interesting <laughs> thing in that whole uh, announcement was they said that 4% of the uh, commercial hops grown in the United States are now grown outside the Pacific Northwest. So there's ah. the hop acreage <clears throat> excuse me, growth in Wisconsin, um, upstate New York. Upstate New York. Yeah, I can't remember. Oh, Michigan. Michigan is actually mm-hmm. the largest uh, producer outside of uh, the United, uh, outside of the Pacific Northwest. All so four percent right. and growing. So the rest of the country, you may have hops uh, grown locally soon enough. Excellent. Yeah. And the last bit, I'll leave to you. All right. The last one is uh, just a, a quickie. Um, uh, Sierra Nevada announced that uh, longtime brewmaster uh, Steve Dressler was retiring. He's been there since 1983 and uh, um, <clears throat> has been the brewer, the head brewer there for a long, long time. And for, for most of that time, they just stood pat with their regular lineup. But in the last five years or so, they've released a ton of new beers. And those were all under Steve's. Um, guidance. So I'm sure they're going to miss him. Um, he is a pretty beloved figure in the industry. He's a quiet guy um, among the rock and roll brewers. His name is never mentioned. And yet he just continues to put out all these winners. So I'm sure they're going to miss him. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, good for you, Steve. I'll yep. raise, raise a glass in honor of your retirement. Indeed. <laughs> all right. So uh, once again, the main topic of today's pod is the 2016 edition of the Oregon Brewers Fest, which is taking place this coming weekend, which uh, uh, um, for those of you listening to the pod at some other time um, is the last weekend in July. Uh The Oregon Brewers Fest is an annual festival, um, as I said, going on for 29 years. It takes place in downtown Portland and the banks of the Willamette River and Waterfront Park. uh, And uh, Rhymes with damn it. (laughs) uh, If nothing else, this pod will promote the proper pronunciation of Willamette. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And which gives the hops its name, by the way. Yeah, that's right. Uh, okay, so uh, our intention today is to talk about the, the beers that catch our eye. Um, we're not making any judgment on other beers, but uh, there are beers that sort of we get excited. We get the the, um, the list of the brewers and the beers they're bringing with some descriptions about the beers. Um, we go through those lists. We look at the kinds of things that excite us. There are uh, literally too many beers to taste. Uh, maybe if you went to all four days. Of the, right. <laughs> is it four, five days now, right? All five days of the right. fest. Um Kind of possible. It's close because it's 112 beers or something like that. So right. you, you'd you'd have to work, but you'd yeah, have to work hard. You could, do it. you could do it, but uh, I don't work that hard. I go one day. I go on the first day. I spend all afternoon there, uh, and yet usually allows me to try at most. Well, because we often share tastes of each of those beers, so maybe f- 15 beers, something like that. Right. Yeah. So and you, and you do that with me. So. Yeah, my, I, my experience reflects yours identically. Well, yeah, and we also we also uh, uh, with you and I and, and the friends we bring, we often um, uh, uh, strategically go for beer. So you'll go for one beer, I'll go for another, and then we'll we'll taste each other's beer, right? And, uh, and we'll learn. Um, every once in a while, a beer will be so good, and you'll be uh, ready just to sit and sip a beer. You'll get a full pour, but otherwise, what you get are four ounce. Maybe three. Three ounce pours. Oh, it's just, just out of myself. An economics thing that's interesting to me is um, since this brewer, well, I actually can't speak all the way back, but we started going in sometime in the early to mid-90s, and it was a dollar. So in the, in the, in the Oregon Brewers Fest started this thing where you, you pay a token for a pour. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I understand that the rest of the country, you tend to pay a, a dollar amount for a block of time, and you go in there and you get smaller pours. This is how they do it at the GABF. Oh, right. I was at a, okay. Yeah, I was at a fest in North Carolina, and they did it that way. In Oregon, we always do the token thing. And the economics of the token thing are sort of interesting because uh, you can raise, if you want to make more money and keep up with inflation, you can either raise the price of the token, you can raise, you can add an entrance fee. There's no entrance fee at the OBF. Mm -hmm. You can charge more for the mug. The mug used to be free. Mm -hmm. Uh, So since we started going, it's always been a dollar token and it remains a dollar token. Yeah. So they've done a few things. They've charged more and more and more for the, for the mug. And they've started to, I think they've reduced it from four to three ounces, the pour. Ah, That's one thing they've done. Uh, Yeah. And there's no, uh, there's no nonlinear pricing in in the full pour. It takes, uh, yeah, I think you're right. It is three ounces uh, because the full pour is 12 ounces and that's four tokens. Um, so there's no nonlinear pricing there or volume discounts, um, as we've talked about. Right. And I think it used to be a penalty. It used to be like four tokens and it was four ounces. So you were paying extra. Uh, I see. Uh, but that's that's my old brain trying to remember. So don't hold me to it. Yeah. It's a huge, it's a huge event. It becomes kind of a scene on the weekend. It gets a little bit uh, crowded, crazy. Um, I avoid it. But... Uh, it's fun nonetheless. I like to go on the first day when it's a little bit more quiet, uh, just sort of getting going. And um, especially early on in the first day, it tends to be uh, sparsely attended and, and the crowds start start building up. It takes a rare kind of person can go at noon on Wednesday. And we're just we're, that kind of rare person. semi employed. That's right. Podcasters. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, by the way, we will um, we will be taking a little recorder there. We hope to we hope to corner a few brewers. They're going to do the same thing they did last year, which is make the international brewers available to um, to hang out and talk to people. Uh, last year, we talked to uh, a New Zealand brewer and a Dutch brewer. They got the New Zealanders and the Dutch back again this year. Plus, they've got some Japanese brewers. No New Zealanders. Oh, no New Zealanders this year. No, there is a New Zealand beer by New oh, Brewers. Really? Uh. Oh God! Okay, I didn't see not. it. I, I didn't see it. <laughs> maybe uh, not. Maybe I just maybe I just got confused by the kiwi beer. Uh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah that, that might could, be it. it. Could be okay. But Japanese brewers this year. Yes, Japanese. Uh, one Chinese brewery, uh-huh. and uh, there's somebody else. Oh, there's one one or two German breweries. So if we if we have a chance, we're going to try to corner a Japanese brewer too. And yeah, that would be else. the most interesting. To me. Um, and so we can chat about what's going on in in, in other countries and about craft beer uh but uh, let's not let's not uh hide the lead man or bury the lead let's let's get to it so uh we're going to talk through some some beers and some trends um why don't we start by talking about a beer and let's let's sprinkle the trends in okay that's a good plan uh so jeff why don't you why don't you pick one of your uh the beers that that you're looking forward to trying all right well this is the I'm going to go ahead and start with a sour beer because we have a lot on our list. And this uh, will allow us to introduce a trend. Yes, let's, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that trend right away. The um, it, I think that the number of sour beers, so these are all, so it's a summer beer fest. This is an important kind of factor in the trends here. These are summer beer trends. Yeah, um, This would look different if we're in the winter. But um, there are... Seventeen uh, percent of the 112 beers that were are going to be served here were kettle soured, were soured with lactobacillus, which is a staggering number. I think it's yeah, much seventeen percent. So that's like what twenty something twenty beers. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. It's really amazing because as as recent as like recently as like three or four years ago, probably maybe one. Mm-hmm. I mean, these things have come out of nowhere. They're just like super popular. Yep. 
And I'm not totally sure if it's popular with the brewers or popular with the drinkers, so we're going to find out. Mm -hmm. One of the ones that caught my attention is a Berliner Weisse. There are eight of them. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've ever seen more than one or two. That's amazing. Yep. Uh, From a brewery called Bowie, which is here in in Oregon, and they have a dragon fruit Berliner Weisse. So I'm sort of interested in seeing how the dragon fruit works. Um, They're going to use some Calypso hops, so mostly... Berliner Weisses don't have a ton of uh, hop character because you don't want a lot of bitterness, but um, use a bright hop like Calypso. You might get some fruity notes in there that would accent the the actual fruit. So I'm interested to try a dragon fruit. Dragon fruit is not actually a very like intense fruit. Yeah, I was so. about to ask you. I don't even know what dragon fruit tastes like. So what? How would you characterize? They're very gentle, little kind of lightly sweet fruits. So oh, which is probably appropriate for. Berliner Weizsäcker. Uh, True. We were at a, a brewery just recently, in fact, just a couple hours ago, in which they had a Berliner Weizsäcker and had zero IBU. So was, yeah, that's but, really common. Yeah, to, to, just to, to speak to your point. So uh, a few years ago, well, I, guess, I guess I'm being a little bit uh, parsimonious, probably five to ten years ago, <laughs> this, uh, <laughs> this fest, you'd be there and there'd be so many big barrel-aged beers. We've talked about this trend before, but the trend right. is really switched now where, um, uh, speaking of trends, I noticed, uh, I counted the, be- the number of beers that were 5.0 ABV or less, so low-alcohol beers, I would call those for U.S. standards, low-alcohol beers. Right. Um, 41 of the beers on at the fest, uh, I counted, were 5.0 or less. So there are ton of uh, quote-unquote small beers uh, or low-alcohol beers, which is exactly what I was focused on because I know it's going to be hot, it's going to be sunny, and that's sort of what I'm looking forward to to, uh, uh, to drinking. And those include uh, sour beers, um, Goza, Berliner Weisse, but also a bunch of session IPAs as well. So, Yeah, I started tracking this. I do a thing on the blog about uh, OBF by the numbers, and I, I started at five and a half when I started tracking it just right. because... It was so rare that a beer would be under even under five and a half. Right. That yeah, was like two or that, three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's why I chose that. Um, and you're right. It's this is an, an enormous change in the market, and it's super welcome for this nearly fifty year old man. So yeah, absolutely. And I could have done like a four point two or below, and there'd still be quite a few. Yeah. Uh, so just I'll, I'll get to my recommendations since we're talking about yep, Berlin, Berliner Weisse, and because of my my Kiwi connection, uh, we might as well go to that one. <laughs> sure. Uh, culmination brew, uh, Brewing. Uh, is uh, brewing something they call the uh, Deutschland Down Under, um, which is a Berliner Weisse with kiwi fruit in it. Um, so I'm looking forward to. Uh, I really, I really enjoy Berliner Weisse, um, but I like. Um, I'm one of those guys that uh, likes the little fruity syrups um, syrup to put in it, give it a tiny bit of sweetness and fruit. So I, I would like to see how just adi- adding fruit to the Weisse itself gives it a little bit of uh, a flavor characteristic. Right. I don't need the sweetness so much, but I like the fruit. And I'll throw in one more. I also get a Dutch brewery in there, mm-hmm. which I can't pronounce. The Dutch, the Dutch <laughs> words are like really challenging. Um, you gotta it's, go in the back of your throat. <laughs> it's true, but this one is O E R S O E P. There's a lot of vowels in that. I'm not really sure how you do that. Ursoep, uh, or, or soap. You go in the back of your throat. You gotta go to the guttural. <laughs> All right, there you heard it. <laughs> the beer is called Schnappy, and it's another. I just offended. I would yeah, oh, you totally did. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I'm not going there. Uh, this is another Berliner Weisse. It's a un, um, unfruited one. But the cool thing about this beer is it has Brettanomyces in it, which our, uh-huh. our friend Alan Taylor, who we're going to interview uh, 
uh, in the next couple of uh, podcasts and talk about his new brewery uh, and what what it's like to open a brewery in America. He uh, was a brewer uh, trained in Berlin, and he talks about how important Brettanomyces is to the development of, of certain esters in Berliner uh-huh. Weisse to get the what he calls the typical Berliner Weisse flavor. Um, uh, nice. So you get a lot of lactic acid from from those lactobacillus, which are really critical. But actually, there's things underneath that the Brett contribute. So our, the only one that I noticed that mentioned that was this one from. Uh, <laughs> Very good. Thank there you. you go. There you go. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to trying that one. Uh, okay. So let me um, find something that's a little bit less. Uh, uh, actually, no. Let me let me stick on the Berliner. There's so many Berliner vices this year. By the way, I counted eight eight Berliner vices. I think you mentioned that before. And and then there are four gozes as well. Four. So, uh, four or five gozes. Yeah, I count to four. You're right. Okay, uh, so I'm going to talk about... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we can count to four. <laughs> uh, the next one I'm interested in, in trying, I'm speaking of Berliner Weiss, so I might as well stay on that for right now. It's Ex Novo Brewing. Ex Novo is sort of my new favorite, well, one of one of my newer favorite brewery, breweries in town. Yeah, we recently did a Best of Portland thing, and we didn't include Ex Novo in there because we hadn't been there. We had a couple of their beers, but which is a shame. It's a total shame. We yeah. got to throw Ex Novo in there. They're I, one of our new favorite breweries. I got to throw them a bone, and let's and let's just mention right now two reasons why. One, yeah, baby. Uh, uh, two, they're both English reasons. One is they do something called a stiff upper lip, which is an ESB that's just spot on and delightful. Uh, and I'm a big fan of English style beer, and really, it's really hard to find. American craft brewers aren't really into that malt forward flavor profile uh so they do one but the real one is we show we showed up at their uh at their brew pub um a couple weeks ago and they had a mild on 3.5 percent a proper mild a proper mild and and i defy anyone to taste it without knowing and call it a 3.5 percent beer because it had a rich silky mouthfeel had a malt forward profile um an incredibly sessionable beer and just 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 such a good representation of what a English mild is. I was I was really really impressed. Yeah, totally agree. So here's something entirely different. Let's see if they do this well. Yeah, uh, that uh, seems like a train wreck, but go. Man. <laughs> <laughs> so because I'm so high on them, normally anything with habanero, I flee. Uh, I hate I hate beers that use hot peppers. Um, I just this, they don't they don't work for me. Nonetheless, I'm going to try this one. <laughs> uh, they call it All of the Things. It is a Blinder Weisse. It has passion fruit and habanero in it. Uh, and um, if anyone can pull it off, maybe they can. So all, I'm going to give it a try. I didn't realize it was called All of the Things. I give them props for that. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's got all of the things. Uh, it's one of those things that I'm sure I will get a pour of and you will taste. And Yeah. Well, if it that. works, it, it will be a real shocker. Yep. And we'll, we'll have to give them huge credit. But I can color me skeptical at the moment. So regardless of what you think of that beer, uh, know that there's delightful English-style beers at the Ex Nova Brewery. Yeah, definitely. If you come to Portland, check them out. All right. what uh, uh, Do you have a Goza, too? Should we, should we do all the Kettle Sour beers? Uh, I, I have more than one Goza, yeah. Well, let's do Kettle Sour. Let's, let's trot through all these Kettle Sour beers. So okay. these are low alcohol. I think most people know these are the low alcohol tart beers. Mm-hmm. And they're really nicely... Suited for, for hot weather drinking. Mm-hmm. Become quite popular in the United yep. States. So, uh, Okay, you want to start? No, I have no gozes. Oh. You're the gozes man. 
Oh, really? Oh, well, now you're putting me on, on the spot. Yeah. Uh, okay, I don't know if this actually goza. Hold on a second. This is the Freem uh, Mango Sour. Ah. Uh, uh, so it's not really a goza, but it's a sour. Well, it's a kettle sour. It's so a kettle it's, sour. So it, does it count? Yeah, it counts. Okay, it's good. totally counts. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, by the way, one of the trends, it's not a big trend, but there are four beers with mango in them. Oh. Which I consider mango. Good call, man. And the reason that it really uh, stood out to me is because... Um, Mangoes have suddenly peaked, I think. Uh, mm. If you don't know this, uh, those of you who are listening right now <laughs> locally, uh, this is peak mango. Mangoes are perfectly ripe now. They're coming from Mexico and they're delightful. Um, so it, the mangoes they use may or may not have been these mangoes because it could have been a while ago. But anyway, uh, Freem Family Brewers are, are bringing a mango sour. Uh, I'll read the description um, or read from the description. Uh, so it's a, a kettle soured Berliner Weisse. Oh, so it's a Berliner Weisse, they call it. Not, ah. not a goza. My, oh, there my, you go. My apologies, but we were working on that anyway. I think that makes nine Berliner Weisses. I don't uh, think I included that. Oh, yeah. My tally. Okay. Uh, it has mango fruit uh, to sweeten it, um, and it has lactic. It doesn't say anything about uh, Brett. Uh, Talk to Josh about that. But Freem, if you don't know the local geography, Freem is from the um, the fruit the fruit haven of, of uh, Hood River or the Hood River Valley. It's, uh, it's um, a lot of mango out there in Hood River. Uh, well, <laughs> you didn't let me come to my point, which is, which is you, you, Sorry, you, you I, become I, I, very adept at adding fruit to beer. Uh, I found those brewers out there tend to be very good at that. And so hopefully they can handle mango well. Yeah, see, it's good I didn't wait because my joke wouldn't have made any <laughs> sense if I'd waited. By the way, uh, in, a, in a few years, there probably will be mango there because global warming is... Upon us. <laughs> oh man, that's depressing. So, all right, all right your turn. Okay, I'm going to go to uh, a real, kind of yeah, I don't know if it's related style, but um, I'm excited that there's a there's a, a, a wonderful old American brewery called August Shells in Ulm, New Ulm, Minnesota, and they survived for decades making uh, light beers, the kind of beers that everybody in America likes. They have this wonderful German heritage, and now with craft beer. Uh, becoming popular they've been able to make some more full flavored full-bodied interesting beers and they're bringing a hefeweizen um, and i am really excited to try that from kind of a you know one of these german breweries that has a long tradition of making german beer Mm -hmm. so that's when i plus it's from minnesota which is cool and i know that this brewery has really been uh doing a lot to to push uh, the boundaries and and like break out of this box of um uh, you know, the, like they've had their long lineage of, of making shells and shells light, right? Classic yeah. lagers. So they're they're making this push, and it's interesting too. They were one of the breweries that that kind of forced the Brewers Association to accept them as a craft brewer because they're like dudes. <laughs> we're this independent brewery for decades, and you're gonna like diss us as not being craft beer. So, right. well, I I also just want to give them a shout out for that. So shells, Hefeweizen. Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna riff on the Minnesota then. Mm. Uh, because I looked through it and actually nice. I don't I don't have a, a a goza was not one of my my picks I have a lot of kettle, kettle soured beers but oh. actually not a goza there is a stone I think stones bringing a goza which yeah, is that... interesting because they're a big hoppy they're known for their hops and bitterness and it looked like a good goza too I think it was a straight goza yeah. not a flavored goza exactly yeah. just a straight so it would be interesting to try see what stone can do with, with yeah. a goza uh, but let's let's riff on Minnesota because I want to give a shout out to Duluth Minnesota <laughs> which is in the summer a beautiful place uh, <laughs> uh, ben, you know, you know ben, your Midwest better than I know my Midwest. Yeah, I've been to Duluth, uh, and it is it's actually quite it's quite lovely. It's on Lake Superior, and, and it's up in northern Minnesota. And in the winter, in the three months of summer, it's great. And in the winter, it's probably I bet they got some skeeters there. Cold. 
Well, yes, they're on the mosquitoes. Yeah. Uh, I love Minnesota, but I'm from Wisconsin, so I can't love them that much. <laughs> All right, so um, Bent Paddle Brewing uh, from Duluth, Minnesota, is um, bringing a bohemian-style pilsner, uh, which I'm excited to try. It sounds um, a fairly straight-up uh, take on a, on a bohemian pilsner, um, and it's from far away, and I like to try things that I can't get locally. And that gives me a perfect opportunity to interject a cool stat from the trends here. Mm-hmm. Um in the past uh, I don't know, five or ten years, Belgians have been pretty popular. We've seen a lot of Belgian yeah. substyles. There are only five Belgian beers yeah. of the 112 that are brought here, five, uh, five Belgian styles, uh, and three of them are wit beers. So there's only, and the other two are saisons. So that's it, uh, yeah. which is sh- really shocking. So let's talk about this because I think German is the new it well, that, in craft brewing. Sorry. I'm, yeah, I just tes- gesticulate into the mic there. <laughs> um, 24%. 24% of all the beers being served at this year's uh, OBF are Czech or German styles. And I kind of blended them in there because the the Czech pilsners, uh, breweries don't do such a great job of distinguishing Czech and German pilsners. And I think they're often not so clear. So I just threw them all That's together. That's true. When I say German, I should probably say German-Czech. Yeah. So I threw them together and it was, it was 24% versus... Uh, the I don't know what that's like three percent of Belgian beers. I mean, it's just it's like all of a sudden things have really shifted because German beers did not used to be German beer styles were not cool. No, and we've talked. I think we've mentioned this in the in the pod in the past. But there was a little brewery uh, in Oregon out in McMinnville, which is um, a short drive from Portland, uh, called Heater Allen. And when they started, and there must have been. I mean, we're talking a decade ago, maybe a decade or yeah, more, maybe more ago. And they were the only ones I knew that were that were doing a doing German and Czech style beers. Right. And unadorned, just lager (laughs) beers. Right. Uh, And they were completely alone in the woods and they sold a small amount and got praise, but you know, they're not a big brewery. Right. Um, And it's amazing how much times have changed. And so some more and more, uh, there are a few breweries that opened up that sort of focused on that, but now it's just sort of part of, I mean, many of the good craft brewers, lager, uh, do lagers um, as uh, regularly as part of their, um, either their regular lineup or as a normal um, part of their specialty beer. So uh, I love it. I think it's great. It's f- perfect for the season. Um, and it's one of the things that I'm really looking forward to uh, tasting at the Oregon Brew Fest. And by the way, um, I should mention that we will, um, these beers that we're uh, recommending now and a few that we might not even get to on the pod today, um, we will put a list on the Beervana Facebook page. Um, so that you can uh, go and um, use that if you're going to attend the festival and want a want a little guide. Very cool. And I'll maybe I'll put those on my if I put a put a post the link on the the blog. I might include them there too. So yeah, look, check it out. Excellent. All right, uh, where should we go now? Let's see. Well, oh, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a curveball. Okay, that's good. I was and, gonna and say you just did a pilsner. It's time for us to do something wacky. Yeah. Again. Well, well, you looked you looked you looked askance at me for this one. So. I'm a big fan of Anchor Brewing in, in, in California just because they're Anchor, right? They're, they're, they're the... I didn't look askance. Well, you... I just said it wasn't in my my, my shortened list of 17 beers. <laughs> well, uh, the, the reason I like this because there's some there's every, every once in a while you see a brewery and then you see a beer they're bringing and you think, oh, wow, that's completely unexpected and right. so... so uh, um, intriguing that i want to try it and anchor is one so anchor does uh, their famous steam beer and all of their beers i would 
describe as sort of um, amusingly offbeat. Is that a is that an okay descriptor? I mean, it's they're not they have a sort of a house characteristic. They're a little bit off center. I think they're huh. they're I fun. They're fun and they're interesting, and I love them. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Okay, so uh, I'm not sure that's how I describe them, but you know, this is not going well. But anyway, <laughs> no, no, they're bringing. They're, I have no no complaint with anything you're saying. I they're bringing say. anchor. They're bringing a mango wheat uh, beer. You're into the mangoes. You're, you're wishing I you were back. Well, ever. okay. So this is what I, my point was: is that uh, my my lovely wife brought home. Uh, she she was at the store, and there was a Vietnamese woman who was buying up like every single mango in the store, and uh, my wife approached her said. And she described them as absolutely perfect right now. Um, and so she brought home a whole ton of mangoes as well. Uh, she got her own share. And it's making you remind me of Kerala too, right? And yes, and it's reminding me of my time in, <laughs> in southern India. It's yeah. reminding my time of Brazil. Brazil, where you go to the supermarket and they have like 26 different varieties of right. mango. Right. I never knew there were more than one. Anyway, I love mango. So yes, that's true. Uh, but but it's also the fact that it's anchor bringing a mango wheat. It's true. Like, that's not anything I would necessarily associate with Anchor Brewing, but um, I love the brewery and uh, it's intriguing. So I'd love to try what they're going to do with a mango wheat beer. Well, I'm gonna if you're gonna go that offbeat, I'll go. I'll go with my offbeat. Another offbeat one too, which is there's a little brewery here in, in Portland called Burnside. It's located. Oh, that's the Goza. There you go. Thank you very much. Right? No, it's not the Goza. But oh, sorry. <laughs> Breakside. Oh, yeah, Breakside is... Secret. I did have a ghost. I knew oh, I had a ghost. you did have a ghost. Yeah, okay, okay, we'll get to that next. Go ahead, go Burnside. Burnside is slightly different. Burnside is on Burnside Street, which is a pretty famous street in Portland. Um, we, uh, separates north from south. Separates north from south. And there's a brewery on there. And they made this amazing IPA that they age on our native uh, cedar tree, which is um, the uh, western red cedar, which is not actually a cedar tree. Uh, Thuja plicata or something like that. And it was very oily, like if you've ever, uh, the, the kind of uh, shake shingles that we have here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and if you're, uh, there are certain kinds of furniture that are made out of this wood. It's amazing wood. Very oily, very, very, very aromatic. Uh, and classically Northwest. And mm-hmm. they aged this IPA on it, and it is like an intense, weird beer. I've had it before. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to taste this anywhere else. And I've long ago... When I first started writing the blog, I was like, why do we always age stuff on oak? Who cares about oak? We should be aging stuff on Douglas fir and <laughs> western red cedar because these are like our woods, right? Right. So They are the northwest. They are the northwest. So Burnside has done it, and it is intense, weird beer. Oh, I look forward to this one. I have yeah. not had this. It's a pretty— That it, sounds wonderful to me. Yeah, it's, it's something else. It's very cool. So um, I think it's not the kind of thing that most people <laughs> probably enjoy, but it is distinctive. They've really gotten a distinctive beer. So, and they brewed it again, so somebody must have liked it. Uh, I predict I'm going to like it. You will like it. So let's get back to this. So th- there was a Goza. I knew I had a Goza. And I can't, remember, I can't believe I didn't point this out. And, and this is going to bring up something else, which is um, uh, we have two beers that we are, are currently <laughs> sampling now, um, both from breweries that are going to bring beers to the fest, not the beers that they bring to the fest. Um, but I'm going to give a quick shout out because I'm enjoying right now the, the um, passion fruit sour from Breakside. Um, Breakside is bringing uh, what they call the pomegranate goza. And so it's goza with, uh, fruited with pomegranates. Uh, and so that is the goza that I'm really interested in trying uh, at, the, at the Brewers Fest. Yeah, pomegranate's a pretty tart 
fruit, so it's like going to be tart squared. Tart on tart, yeah. yeah. So it'll give, I imagine it'll give some nice flavor characteristics. And and uh, pomegranate's kind of a nice, subtle uh, fruit flavor. Um, right. It doesn't beat you over the head, so it'll be interesting how they how they do it. But should um, be vividly colored. Uh, any, 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 that's true. Good point. Uh, it's pretty dark red. Right. Red berry, so, uh, well, not berry, but uh, fruit. Um, uh, and people who listen to the pod know that Breakside is one of our all time favorites um they describe it as uh a uh, goza that has uh lacto and um yep i guess that's it uh lacto with uh with pomegranate there you go and then our other beer that we have here is the freem which we've also mentioned which is also a brewery we really enjoy here and mention often on the pod and they're bringing another did you already mention the freem uh, I believe I did, yeah. Oh man, well we're drinking the Freem because they're bringing a beer that Patrick wanted to try. So it's a it's a, the, one of the smallest beers here. It's three and a half percent. It's a, is it one of the is it the mango one? It's the mango. Oh, one the mango one. We discussed Sorry. whether you can grow a mango in Hood River. Sorry, welcome to my forty eight year old. <laughs> that was brain, a long time right? ago. Though, so. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's all coming back to me. All right, all right. Are you ready to go again? Yeah, let's go to Japan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got some nice mm-hmm. Japanese beers mm-hmm. coming. Uh, they are the new so. So uh, last year they did New Zealand and, and Netherlands. It hasn't really been an international fest in the past, but he has a special little international place that he puts in. Yeah, um, so this was maybe like the third or fourth year that they've been doing this. And it, this has right. grown. This is the first time they've had four international breweries. And we're yeah, pretty and so cool. Japan's sort of the big new, new and, intro this year. And we are both really interested in Japan because they're doing interesting stuff there. And they're actually starting to get into... Uh, things that we would consider native Japanese. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one that I'm going to call out is native Japanese in one way, maybe not in, in others, but it's, but it's cool. It's a, it's a, uh, a beer that's been aged on um, uh, malt whiskey barrels. Mm-hmm. And at, p- people who are whiskey fans will know that Japan is kicking some serious bute on the, uh, the the whiskey front they in in international uh, blind tastings they're often beating Scotland so it's more like a Scotch rather than a bourbon it's it's much scotchier yeah the Japanese love malt whiskey yeah so this is called Shiga and make good malt whiskey <laughs> they do Shiga Kogan uh, is, is the name of the brewery Iseki Sancho is the name of the beer and it's a dark beer I think it's like kind of like a stout and um, they age it for two months on this. Uh, on, on barrels from Chichibu Distillery, uh, which is the newest malt whiskey distillery in Japan. So I'm interested to give that a shot. Yeah, and I'll double down on on the Japanese. Yeah, what do you got? So you and I Australia? both have have the same same take in general about beer, which is it should be a it should reflect the local it should reflect its its provenance. Exactly. Uh, and so here is Iwate, uh, and apologies for my pronunciation, but Iwate uh, Kura beer. Uh, from Japan. Uh, it's a 5.0 ABV beer. Uh, it's described as a golden ale, and this is how they describe it. With its nodes, nodes of sage, papaya, and pine forest, <laughs> this unique beer smells as fresh as spring rain, even af- after its nearly 5,000-mile journey. The addition of Sancho peppercorns, the berries of a, a spiny Asian shrub, lends floral and berry sweetness rather than heat or spice. Which would be interesting because peppercorns don't. Just, I don't think of peppercorns as berry sweetness. So, uh, I am intrigued, 
And I look forward to trying that one. And they've written kind of a haiku there. It has every, everything that you want. <laughs> haiku. So it's very inspiring. Uh, and, and as we mentioned before, hopefully we'll get the chance to talk to a few of these Japanese brewers. Yeah, we're really going to try that. Um, they may not speak English, which would not be surprising. So we're going to have to try to find a translator, and that'll be interesting. But we'll apparently, have... apparently from the PR person, a couple of them do. So. Oh, good. Good, good. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I'm going to go. I'm going to. I'm going to throw another curveball in here. Um, if I can find it, uh, where did it go? Yeah, here we go. I only have a couple of more that I was going to mention, so we're we're doing all right. Here. Yeah, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. But here's one. We're bombing through. Here's one, and I think you'll. I think I know where you're going to go next after this. But uh, Pints Brewing, I'm in Old Town section of Portland, uh, is bringing something. Let's we, save their sister brewery for last. Let's save this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're bringing something really interesting, um, and the description is. Uh, is intriguing again. I've used that word a number of times, but they call it the lemon curd ESB. So it's an extra special bitter, and as listeners probably know, I'm big into English beers. Uh, so the ESB always cap, uh, captures my, my attention. Uh, but this one says uh, it has an intriguing blend of old Europe and the Orient. An English style ESB is paired uh, with the zesty playfulness of Meyer lemon peel, uh, which they claim is originally from china fair enough okay uh an english lemon curd right which you should know because it's got the word english in it but oh. i've never heard of it oh lemon curd lemon curd's great it's like a spread you put on toast it's kind of like marmalade oh it's, really it's lemon it's a delightful one huh so it's got everything i like <laughs> it's got <laughs> it's an english it's an esb and it says lemon uh but who knows i don't necessarily think of citrus and ESB together in one sentence, so I'm really interesting. But actually, that marmalade thing, actually, you know, uh, very often the East Kent Golden gives a real orange marmalade, so maybe whatever yeah, that so, so curd thing that's is true. something. I mean, orange marmalade, treacly sort of flavors go very well with. So this could be, this could be, this could be really oh, good. I'm, I'm could coming be a, on board. Could be a big winner. I saw that thing about lemon curd, and I thought I don't want anything to do with this. Yeah, no, no, you want this. You want this. This is going to be good. I'm starting to want that. Uh, and pints generally. Uh, is pretty reliable for good high quality beer so that's another that's another curveball look for that one excellent so did you think i was going to go to gigantic next no i thought you're going to go to their sister brewery. oh no we'll, we'll save that for last uh gigantic has le petit batard a uh, yeah i gotta look i gotta look it up I'm, I'm, why don't you go ahead and pronounce that? Your your French is marginally better than mine. I, I would if I could find it. It's, it's, un, it's under gigantic. <laughs> oh, gee. <Yeah. laughs> that comes after F, I see. Uh, <laughs> Le petit bâtard abai. I don't know how you pronounce abai. Well, yeah, you kind of put a little bit of a... Le more petit, of a Portuguese le, uh, abai. But I get the le, right? Which is, everyone, okay. gets, everyone calls it le when oh. you see Ellie. Yeah, le petit, le petit, le. I've had enough French to know it's le, le petit bâtard abai, uh, the little bastard bee. The little bastard bee. So it's made with it's made with honey, high desert honey, uh, wildflower honey, and um, so the thing to know about Gigantic is they're and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna potentially violate children cover your ears. I'm gonna potentially violate our, our, our iTunes uh, uh, code here. They're great bullshitters. Beep. <laughs> <laughs> and especially Van Havig is has a, a an incredibly wry and sophisticated sense of humor. And in the past, he has uh, written crazy stuff for um, the 
the, the the language for the beers they bring, and sometimes it doesn't rely, it doesn't cohere at all with the beer they bring. So this could be an imperial stout. I don't know, <laughs> but it's supposedly. A, but what they wrote sounds good. Well, go ahead and read it. Uh, well, it's a 4.6 ABV uh, golden ale, and they say this beer. <laughs> this is where you never know where they're taking the piss. Right. Okay, so, <laughs> Absolutely. This beer uses single origin high desert honey gathered from hives located in eastern Oregon. The more floral and uh, and sin- and sincere their language is, the more you should distrust it. Yeah, high desert wildflowers like sage, rabbit brush, larkspur, buckwheat, and phlox dominate this extraordinary honey. Uh, a wort of Pilsner malt. Uh, lightly hopped with noble varieties, was fermented by French saison yeast, yielding an estuary, peppery, spicy, and citrusy beer with a silky, rich mouthfeel. Now, if they brewed that beer, <laughs> and if, uh, then I'm really looking forward to trying it. Yeah, and I am too because it's a Belgian table beer. Tell, and Belgian table beer should be less than 4.6, but whatever. It's yeah, American I mean, I expect, I expect that you'll find something brewed with honey, and it should be interesting, and, and probably, and knowing, given their track record, probably excellent. Yeah, exactly. Gigantic is a really trustworthy brewery, although they're also very experimental, and some of their more exotic experiments have been some dubious yeah. uh, provenance. But um, but that's because... and That's yeah, fair on both counts. The, the truth is this 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 festival is an opportunity for breweries to take a chance because they don't have to sell this at, you know on the market they can they can just try it here and it's it's fantastic so there are some some swings and a miss but um, but there's often some swings and a hit too yeah. so last year in fact there was a brewery made with candy cap mushrooms which yeah. had this weird sweet flavor and it was I, I regarded it as one of the most offensive things I'd ever tasted. It came from our friends at, at I concur. <laughs> but um, we were in the minority. Other people thought it was spectacular. It became a big buzz beer, and people went crazy, and they continued to brew that beer after the, the fest, and it was a big winner. So you never know. You never know. Yeah, it is. It, the, the, this festival is like this, but particularly this festival is a chance to really uh, te- uh, test your boundaries, try all kinds of things, Yeah. figure out what you like, what you don't like. Uh, pay attention to the descriptions because then you can start f- figuring out what it is that you don't like. If you don't like the esters that come from yeast, if you don't like the bitterness that comes from hops, if you don't like the crazy, funky, disgustingness that comes from mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> or the, the sour that comes from lactobacillus. Or the sour that comes from lactobacillus, or maybe you really like it. Right. Uh, so this is a great opportunity for you to introduce yourself to lots of different beer. Um, which and, is, and really an opportunity for the breweries to try experimental stuff. And I like to support their efforts so it's nice to because i want to try weird beers so yeah. i want to see and, and it's something and we've we're, talked we're, to, we're running up to the weirdest beer at the fest that's right and it's something we've talked to brewer, brewers before which is the fest is an interesting mix of incentives part of you really wants to send something sort of you know is going to good going to be good and popular and you know like your big hit beer that you've brewed for years and years and years uh, and part of you wants to show your experimental side and try something new and exciting and create some buzz. Um, so it's always very interesting to see how, how different breweries deal with that. Um, okay, I only have two left, um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and um, and talk about them. You have just the, uh, the last. I have, well, I have I have one I have one before we have that other weird thing. Okay, good. So we'll we'll go tit, tit for tat then. Excellent. Uh, uh, so there's a brewery that I'm really, really fond of. I'm a big fan of um, Fort George Brewery in um, Astoria, Oregon. Uh, they're bringing something they call the uh, Dirty Snowball. Um, uh, maybe I like. Maybe I'm. Maybe I'm just intrigued by lemon, uh, because uh, they describe it as uh, 
Um, wisps, Ma- mango and lemon, that's your thing. Yeah, wisps of lemon. I think I'm into fruit these days. Yeah. That's true. Uh, I wouldn't probably be in the winter, but in the summer I'm in. Wisps of lemon peel and a pungent grapefruit or aurora emanate from this bright pale ale now what i don't know is whether they're actually adding lemon peel right this was it was the language was unclear to the beer or whether the hops and or yeast they're using uh gives those flavor characteristics i don't know yeah Um, it's unclear uh they use a London ESB yeast uh, to accentuate malt flavor, and so it's actually not too dissimilar, perhaps, from the pints, pints which is uh, a bit of English-y hot, uh, malty characteristics along with some lemon citrus. Another fun fact, uh, <laughs> 26% of the beers at this fest feature fruit. So the, mm-hmm. it's, it's, again, uh, every year that ticks up is the highest they've had uh since I've been doing my, my beer by the numbers thing. Right. And um, it keeps going up. And I think, uh, fruit, you know, long ago, fruit had this this uh, uh, reputation as being like for, for unserious drinkers. If you were if you didn't like the flavor of beer, you, you, you had a fruit beer because, yeah. you know, you were, you're not a serious beer drinker. That's really shift, shifted now, especially as we've gotten in more sour beers. People realize that, that the flavor of, of tartness and the flavor of fruit go together perfectly. So Yeah, and I'd also say that it's part of the maturity of the sort of the brewing community in general. Because early on, fruit was generally used um, with a heavy hand um, and often ended up being sort of very fruity, sweet, sweet right. beers that um, weren't particularly balanced. Uh, but I think that over the last uh, decade... Uh, brewers have learned to use fruit in delightful ways. And it probably helps that uh, we've gone in a fruity direction with our IPAs, mm-hmm. uh, which leads me seamlessly <laughs> segueing into my... Oh, you're good. Sa- thank you. Thank you. My second to last beer, which is No Lee, which is a Washington breweries, mm-hmm. a thing called Big Juicy. And it is, uh, by the description, it sounds like it's one of these modern super juicy name. The name called Bill Juicy. You expect mm-hmm. that uh, super fruity beers, and the cool thing that I, I was really attracted to is it has Citra and Eldorado, two modern hops that are, you know, contribute to that forty thousand uh, acres of new hops right. uh, that are being planted, and also Belma, which I've never even heard of, uh-huh. the hop called Belma, and Azaka, which I have heard of but I'm not that familiar with. Right. So um, this should be a fun. Uh, it's. Six percent, a little bit over six percent, and it should be a fun, juicy, IPA kind of modern thing, and I'm looking forward to that. We don't have there. There's a ton of IPAs at this one. After falling off in the last couple of years, IPAs have come back. They're like again another quarter of the the beers, and um, uh, we. Th- I thought I should mention one. So I'm the one I'm most interested in is this one because of the Belma and Azaka. Yeah, uh, we've talked about the session IPA craze, and, and depending on how you count, because they don't always self-identify as session, but an IPA with right. low ABV, we called you. It's somewhere between like five and eight session beers uh, are available at the at the festival, and so um, yeah, there's a lot of ways to to actually. I'll probably end up drinking a lot more beer this time um, because I'll be able to. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> so that's right. It'll be, it'll be fun. I'm excited about this. All right, so I'm going to go to so my last beer. The last recommendation I have um, is another old fave in terms of brewing uh, breweries. It's the Ninkazi Brewery from Eugene, Oregon. Uh, they're bringing something uh, that they call the grapefruit sour. And again, it's another kettle soured. Uh, You're going to be pickled by the end of the day. So many sour beers. So many sours, yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's kettle sour lacto, uh, and they add uh, grapefruit. 
Um, so yeah, I, can, I definitely see a trend in my picks. I'm it's true. I'm interested in low alcohol. I'm interested in sour. I'm interested in fruit uh, and English. You are like a millennial drinker. You are perfectly au courant. You are the guy. You were you're right am. there. You're not you're not one of these old balding middle aged men. Well, you drinking their imperial stouts from be- bourbon barrels. And if people know Patrick, they know he's not balding, <laughs> which really irritates those of us who are. No, but I am. I do have my reading glasses on for the first time. <laughs> Age it catches up with all of us. Yeah, all right, right, I'm going to go for the last beer, and I'm just going to read this thing because oh, this is good. There's really no the, the reading it will accomplish as much as anything. I mean, before I before we start, okay, so. Uh, we have a good friend who we hope to interview soon on the pod. His name's Alan Taylor. He's an exceptional brewer. Right. Uh, and he's been excited to make this beer for months. He started talking about this. <laughs> often often when he brews German beers, he's very traditional and tries to hew very closely to style. And he's bringing this. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> it's called Bira Pazza El Pasto. Pesto. And the yeah, I'll read the description. Bira Pazza El Pesto translate as crazy pesto beer, according to Italian-born and raised Giuseppe Vaccarello, a friend of the brewmaster. Giuseppe Vaccarello. Come on, you have to... Thank you. In English, it's a light American wheat beer infused in the whirlpool with the glory of pine nuts, Parmesan cheese, basil, freshly crushed garlic, and a dash of olive oil. It was also dry basiled with uh, more fresh basil for your aromatic enjoyment. Putting uh, fat in a beer is a dangerous activity, and I just don't know how it's going to. Throwing olive oil in this thing and parmesan cheese on on top of it, the parmesan cheese is just uh, this seems It'll be like drinking a pizza. When he he was re- when I talked to Alan the first time he mentioned this, he was he was like, "Isn't this the greatest idea ever?" And he told it to me, and he and he had one of those expectant looks on his face, and I thought. Holy moly. <laughs> I, I maybe you don't quite understand your vision, but I'm going to definitely drink this beer and we'll see if I understand. Good or bad, these are fun beers to taste. That's right. Because this is a brewer going completely And that's right. He had this he had this vision. He thought he wanted to do a beer that was had the flavor of pesto and and so he spent a long time thinking about it and he came came up with this crazy recipe and now we're going to try it. Yeah. So that's I mean, fun stuff. Yeah, I read that and all I can think of is that I really want to be eating a pizza when I try this. Yeah. And he I think that's where it's maybe started. He was the, you know, pizza always goes with beer, so I'm going to make a pizza beer kind of thing. So, anyway, yeah. high well, concept. We'll see well, if it works. I don't works. think any of his pubs serve pizza, so he's going to have to work on that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that that wraps up then our uh, our list of recommendations for the OBF. These are this is, of course is not an all inclusive list. You should look. At. No, there were so many more beers that I was interested in. Yeah, we I, just we just picked sort of the ones that kind of jumped out of, jumped out to us. Yeah, I, I got to say, Bolt Minister, you're uh, ultra pilsner. I'm really interested in that he's he makes amazing pilsners. He's rebrewed. Breweries bounced around all over the place. He's in Washougal now. Yeah. Uh, Bayern is bringing a weird, super hoppy uh, decoction Maybach. Um, the Schutz has a sage beer. Uh, um, you know, it just goes on and on and on. So there's a lot of very interesting beers here. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so you should you should when you get to the when you get to the fest, you'll get a guide. You should look through the guide. Uh, you should try anything and everything that. That floats your boat. Yeah, that looks interesting. Um, but what, if you like a guide, you can you can uh, go to the uh, the Beer Bonna Facebook page and perhaps the Beer Bonna blog if you get on it, Jeff. Um, and you can see our list, um, and that's a decent starting jumping off point. That's right. We will make sure we list all these things. Yeah. Okay. So uh, 
good luck. If you don't go to the OBF, we'll report back on on, uh, on the beers that we've tasted and let you know what we think about the future of craft uh, beer. But right now, and you can write to us afterwards and judge us on our on our abilities to predict the good beers because you know I, uh, I'm sure that all mine are going to be great. But you know, you should call in, write in, and talk about how Patrick is a terrible prognosticator. <laughs> that kind, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, I make no guarantees, but I'd love to, I'd love to know what you think about these, especially the crazy ones. You are actually, I think, a better prognosticator than I am. You have a, a, a better sense of these things. I, I tend to I tend to go for more crazy beers, <laughs> a little bit wild ass guess stuff. Well, it's always fun to try to, to try these new, especially experimental beers, and it's fun to hear what other people think because, um, as we all know, that uh, tastes tastes are personal, and uh, one person's uh, Michelangelo is another person's. Uh, I wonder where you're headed with that. Yeah. Co- <laughs> I, uh, I uh, uh, thought, Kramer's Kavorka. I hadn't thought that out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, piece of uh, garbage. So, um, uh, yeah, do, do be in touch. All right. Uh, so let's move on now. Um, let's talk about uh, the mailbag. We actually have uh, a few mailbag entries this, uh, this time. So thank you very much for, yeah. uh, for uh, writing in. Uh, let's see. Uh, the first... Uh, Mailbag question is from Jeff Raker. Uh, Jeff wonders about uh, nutrition labels, and he says, uh, I'm wondering if you'll be doing a podcast on nutrition labels on beer and the impact on the industry. I recently read about a movement by Big Beer to get this instituted. Right. So what he's talking about is the four largest U.S. brewers have agreed to list uh, calorie counts and other nutritional information on beers, and and the breweries are AB InBev, Miller Coors, Heineken, and Constellation Brands, which is Corona and others. Right. Um, and uh, they are organized under the the auspices of the Beer Institute, which is sort of like the Brewers Association. It's a trade group, but it mainly represents bigger brewers. Big beer, yeah. So um, that's what he's referring to here. We 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 told I, I emailed back and said, Jeff, we probably don't have a whole podcast here, but we'll definitely throw it in the in the. Uh, in the mailbag. In the mailbag. So you, I made some notes, but you instantly anticipated the notes. So why don't you... Uh... Well, my first thought was that the big brewers that often brew uh, lighter beers uh, will be interested in being able to advertise their calorie counts, for example, uh, suggesting that uh, uh, consuming these beers relative to craft beer, which often uses... Uh, uh, large, larger amounts of ingredients and therefore more malt and more calories. Uh, that it's it's going to be better for you, more um, less 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 filling. Uh, I'm trying to I'm trying not to use the the Madison Avenue light beer commercial, but you can imagine that's essentially what they're what they potentially are going for. Right. Uh, on the other hand, I'm an economist, and uh, generally in economics, more information is better. Um, I don't think that most craft beer drinkers are drinking craft beer uh, because they're worried about um, their calorie counts. And I think that craft one glass of craft beer is worth you know many glasses of Miller Lite or something like that, <laughs> or Bud Light. Uh, so um, I understand the concern among craft brewers who are a little bit worried about that. I do think it's a little bit of it's 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 hard as a craft brewer if you're if you're going to do a quick one off. Uh, you got to come up with if if you're required to come up. With the nutritional information, right, and I think this is a big issue because it'd be a lot of expense for a small brewery to come yeah. up with the nutritional information. How yeah. many magnesium you got in there? And yeah, yeah. So you got to do it. You know, you have to send it to a testing lab and get it tested. Um, 
and this is odd because often beer is a perishable product, right? So you create a new brew and you brew it. Um, you can, I guess, put in the, the ingredients list uh, and have it analyzed that way. Anyway, I, don't, I, I understand the point that um, it could be a requirement that adds some cost and especially burdensome for small brewers. Um, I, uh, and I also understand the idea that potentially it could be a marketing tool for the big brewers. The marketing tool part, I'm not too... I'm not too persuaded by. I don't think that's going to make a big difference in hmm. terms of uh, the people who consume craft beer. Interesting. I don't, I don't think the people that are worried are the craft beer drinkers. Just craft just, beer, by the way, has never really gone onto the light beer craze. I mean, I don't. No, not I don't know of a craft brewer that's really sort of promoted their sort of light beer. You watch give, your waistline beer. <laughs> yeah, you give me a great uh, segue again. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, you're uh, welcome. <laughs> to we're so, pros. Yeah, we are. So, in a 12 ounce beer, uh, a, a, a typical light beer has 100 calories. Uh-huh. A typical IPA, 12 ounce beer again, mm-hmm. not a pint, uh, 200 calories, mm-hmm. and a typical like imperial stout or you know, one of these giant, like ten percent uh, beers with a lot of malt, three hundred right. calories per twelve ounce. So that's the kind of, and 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 you are right. It's true that if you're thinking I'm going to sit down and have three beers, uh, I'm going to have uh, maybe a, a Bud Light. It makes sense to maybe have a Bud Light, but if you have an Imperial Stout, you don't want three of those things. You're probably so. I'm I'm not really sure to even say well, you just you just yeah. end up spending more time drinking beer that maybe you're not enjoying as much and uh so this is the university professor in me coming through because you often actually see a lot of college students like going for the the bud light uh and i imagine that part of their thinking uh but you know there's a pretty direct uh relationship between the sugars that you're putting in beer mm-hmm. the calories that you're putting in the beer and the alcohol you get out right and since many of these, <laughs> these university students <laughs> their objective is not so much the flavor of the beer but the alcohol units the alcohol units that you're imbibing so that it creates a certain sensation blah 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 uh you're really not doing yourself much favor to have you know six bud lights rather than two or three big Big right. IPAs. Right, especially since you get it in your blood faster, it'll actually absorb faster, you get drunk faster. Not that I'm encouraging Not, college yes. kids to drink IPAs. But. Exactly. And part of the thing, and actually this is quite honestly part of the thing that I enjoy about craft beer is that I think it has changed a little bit the beer drinking culture. I mean, you still see uh, plenty of you know frat parties with Keystone Light boxes sure strewn about <laughs> the next day well it makes a lot of sense if you're throwing a party while you'd go for a cheaper beer that actually makes some sense yeah but that but i do think it has changed i mean uh college students in my experience at least oregon college students and maybe they're exceptional um, but they know about craft beer they enjoy beer and they enjoy to drink beer for the taste and not just for the alcohol so right uh anyway the word can be getting astray <laughs> yeah. original question but it is interesting though when you and also when you're thinking about uh a dollar uh, you know cents per alcohol unit it may actually be cheaper to buy a, a slightly less expensive ipa than a than a uh, you know a, i think uh, that's likely true yeah it's interesting yeah. yeah all right next mailbag question this comes from leslie is the clarity of the beer really important uh, examples of beer that should be clear and beer that shouldn't be. Now, this uh, Leslie may follow uh, my blog and the kind of chatter that's going on. There's there's a really big phenomenon right now happening called the, uh, the New England or the the, the, the uh, Northeast IPA, and it's actually New England. It's much more in New England than it is in the Northeast. Right. Um, these things are really cloudy and they're really juicy, so they have a lot of fruit flavors and mm-hmm. not so much bitterness, right. and that's kind of their big thing. And there's this there's an equation between the 
cloudiness. They're very cloudy, like hefeweizen and cloudy, mm-hmm. and the juicy flavor. Okay. And I think that they have nothing to do with each other. So this is a long debate, and we could possibly like get experts on here. A big a, one of the big problems is very little research. We have very little data. If you yeah. if you delve into this, um, when you're looking at um, the the way that hop oils may bond with polyphenols, or may the way they may bond with uh, different uh, malt proteins, and mm-hmm. do they bond differently with barley proteins versus oat proteins? We don't know. Right. So there's this big, this big sense that the if you see a big cloudy uh, IPA uh, and it smells really juicy, that it will taste more juicy than if you see one that's just hazy or clear. Um, I'm not really sure that's true. Um, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that Northwest yeah. IPAs, uh, the trend is actually to more uh, to to more and more clear beers. Right, They're brighter now. Right, uh, but there's still also a trend of juiciness, and, and they're incre- yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're incredibly juicy and aromatic. Um, I think of it more just as an overall sense- sensory perception issue. Um, and early on, and I can remember a very specific occasion. Um, I gave a talk at Western Washington University, great school uh, in Bellingham, Washington, great city, uh, beautiful. Go uh, uh, Vikings. Vikings, Let's go Vikings! I have no idea. Yeah, sure. Ask. Well, it's yeah, pretty good. Or Wildcats. That's uh, like you can cover half the school if you go Vikings or Wildcats. What's, what's particularly impressive about Western Washington University is it it's perched on a hillside overlooking uh, Bellingham Bay and the San Juan Islands. It is nice. God's country. It is about as gorgeous a view as you could possibly imagine as an undergraduate <laughs> at, a, at a university. I'm pretty uh, sure Josh Freeman went there. So there you go. Oh, like we're trying go. to, you know, bring all these things together. Yeah, it's great school. I He's, had a great time. I he, gave a talk. We went to a pub in afterward, Bay. I think on the Bellingham Bay. And I was, and this is where my, my, my lifelong love of Boundary Bay Brewery, by the way. And this is the first time I didn't recommend that. I know. That I, was, I, I, I did notice. I thought for certain you would do it. They were bringing a beer. You should have it. But I, I've recommended you, you it so off. many times. Yeah. Uh, they had, they had uh, at the time, um, I'm sure they still have, a, a beautiful floral IPA. This is years ago, so it wouldn't be the same kind of modern characteristic. But it was delightfully cloudy, and it was this sort of beautiful straw-colored, cloudy beer, very aromatic. Um, and to me, it was just that that opaqueness just suggested to me the 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 hops um, and the um, uh, the flavor characteristics that I was coming. But it was really, I think, I mean, it was more about my perception of it than anything, uh, you know, fundamental about the flavor characteristics. So for a long time, I was really, really into into hazy, cloudy beers, and I felt that that was sort of what I liked, I felt this sort of rustic and crafty and exactly. I think that's a really big component of all this. Yeah. Uh, um, and now of course, you know, the trend I think is at least in the Northwest becoming brighter and brighter beer, clearer beers. Um, and I, and I think there's a really big reason for that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's harder to make clear beers. If you homebrew a beer, it's almost certainly not going to be clear unless you, unless you let it condition for a long time. Uh, those, those, uh, the yeast will fall out of su- suspension and the, uh, proteins will fall out of suspension and they'll have a clear beer. Mostly, you know, after two weeks, your beer is going to look hazy. Right. And that's the rusticity. Mm-hmm. So there is that rusticity, but brewers are proud people that like to show their, their facility with, uh, uh brewing. And mm-hmm. so just <laughs> throwing out these muddy ass beers is maybe not what, you know, they really thrill to. They like to show the clarity of the beer. Clarity has always been prized in most beer styles. Yeah. So, um, 
to Leslie's second question, examples of the bio, uh, beer that should be clear. Basically, every beer style should be clear except for a few like uh, the wheat styles. Um, wheat proteins fall out of suspension more dif- more, with greater difficulty. So mm-hmm. wheat beer and Hefeweizen and there's beers like that, that that are hazy. And then the American IPA having a little bit of haze is also considered, I think, totally normal. Yeah. Mostly, mostly you want clarity, though. Even if you uh, have like a Schwartz beer or a, a porter, if you hold it up, it's a dark beer. If you hold it up, the light, you should it should be clear. It yeah, should you be see through it. bright. You know, it should be uh, that clarity. It's considered a quality. And um, that's how brewers have traditionally thought about beer. I think it's changing a little bit. But um, anyway, there you go, Leslie. Yeah, and this just to make an, an obvious point, but perhaps it's not obvious to everybody, but there's sort of two ways in which you can make a beer very clear uh one way is um well the others perhaps as well you can use isinglass and other additives that sort of pull the particulate matter out uh but you can let it condition um which is just let gravity do its work right um, keep it in a tank for a while and over time the stuff that's in suspension in the liquid will fall down to the bottom of the tank and you can draw off the top um or you can just use a filter Right, and so big breweries uh, often will just filter their beer, and will just filter out all that particulate matter and make it clear. Which so, is one reason why people like rusticity. I think oh, exactly. You're, you're so filtering out good, tasty stuff. Precisely my point, which yeah, is yeah. that clear beers uh, became associated for a while, at least, with big industrial brewers, because you can just force your beer through a filter, and it comes out crystal clear in the end. And that's not necessarily a. Uh, uh, part of your skill, but just part of the fact that you're a big industrial brewer. So I think that that was part of it, and I think it still remains that. Um, I have no opinion necessarily on clarity versus cloudiness. I I take every beer as it comes, and I, I judge it on its merits, and I appreciate a good cloudy beer sometimes and a good clear beer. Um, very ecumenical. I am, I am. I so am. how are we doing on time? Should we I'm take this last people. one, or should we wait for it? Uh, yeah, let's take this last one. We're, 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 we, don't, we have a few minutes left. Okay. Um, uh, we've talked about it before, and, and we can give it a quick a quick once-over, but it's something that we'll continue probably coming back to. So Christopher. Uh, Christopher writes. Chris, Christopher is a Guinness beer ambassador. Um, uh, he And also a beer writer, but, uh, but that is relevant. The, okay. beer, the beer ambassador is relevant here. Yeah. Uh, we, we've talked about uh, sort of the tricky place that a brewery like uh, Guinness is in the past, and he asked, uh, given the constraints that you and Patrick outlined, he wrote to you, by the way. Well, it was on the blog. It was on the uh, Facebook page, but I was okay, the one so who I'm said, gonna, "Hey, we need mailbag stuff. So, Come so, on, man!" So I'm going to reverse this. Given the constraints that you and Jeff outlined, there you uh, go. since I'm reading it, it seems like the only solution you guys believe is viable in order to maintain market share for a company like Guinness is hard and fast innovation, which of course means we'd risk alienating our base. Uh, and it goes on, but essentially that's the that's the core part. So, right. uh, how do you balance uh, tradition? Uh, with sort of progress and innovation. Um, I think this is not, by the way, just a beer question, uh, but it's something that uh, is relevant to um, lots and lots of businesses. Right, and we've seen, we've seen companies fail, who, like Wonder Bread is a classic example of a, beer, of a product that is super associated with a thing that is very popular for a period of time, and that popularity changes, and then it, doesn't, it, it scrambles, but it doesn't, it doesn't succeed, and it just it vanishes. Yeah. Wonder Bread is gone. Yeah. Uh, so I think that, um, uh, you know, I don't have any great insight here, but I think that uh, you have to try and, and uh, walk that thin line between uh, maintaining the, the traditional product that you've got. And that part's sort of straightforward. But, I mean, but, uh, but um, hold that thought. Uh, yeah. Um, our, our audience won't hear that, but 
our theme music started coming on. <laughs> Uh, we can fix that. Yeah, right. we'll fix uh, it in post. Anyway, um, you need to maintain your sort of core product, but you also need to to be seen as a, a company that's innovative and be able to attract the, the new customers because your old customers die and new customers need to come on board. Um, so I think that, that a company like Guinness has to, has to show it... At, uh, uh, be seen as a company that's not just producing the same old uh, beer because... Uh, all of the new 21-year-olds um, that are coming on board and becoming new beer drinkers uh, are interested in things that are sort of new and modern and, and different. Yeah, I think this is the most important question confronting breweries in, in the world right now um, because we're at a moment of change, and change is always really dangerous for incumbents. Um, if you've got a, an incumbent brand and the mood is changing, it's, not, it's very difficult to uh, survive. And it's also difficult in a changing environment to create a <laughs> Sally. My wife is in the kitchen, uh, and you may hear some noise in the background, but that's just her. Don't don't become alarmed. Uh, it's also difficult in a changing environment to establish a brand identity based on a flagship brand or you know any kind of stable uh, product that will succeed in the future. It's difficult to know what what those those are and we've just been talking uh, the obf beers are a good example it's like all of a sudden there's all these kettle sour beers well are should you stake your future on that or is that something that's been gone in two years it's it's difficult in, in moments of change yeah. so if i i mean um yeah, i have no data on this which is as an economist is usually makes me unwilling to make an opinion but uh ha. But I don't care because it's beer. Uh, uh, excellent. That's that. Was, I I don't care is my motto. I'm a blogger. Come on. <laughs> so if I were the, so if I were in charge of Guinness, what I would do is I would go out and hire uh, int- good talent. I would hire young uh, brewers who are interested in experimenting, who are uh, who have demonstrated a talent and a knack, and I would create um, a space for them to do whatever it is they want to do. Uh, in other words, to create sort of uh, um, a, uh, I, don't, I don't want to call it a boutique brewery because I don't want you to think like Blue Moon or something like that, but I but uh, a way in which um, new brewers can go out there and experiment and be free um, and under the Guinness umbrella, create new beers, um, uh, uh, have evolving styles um, and are not hewn... My point is they don't have to hew to tradition at all. Um, but they can brew whatever they want. They can use the Guinness uh, equipment, the Guinness product, you know, the Guinness um, ingredient line and all, and all that. Um, but that's a way that in which you can sort of try to keep relevant, try to keep in touch with market trends, uh, create uh, buzz about your brand, um, but then never forgo the, the core product that, that's sort of there. And I think that what happens over time is that people will be introduced to you through uh, through these new innovative brands, uh, perhaps, uh, but we'll still be attracted to the um, to the core product. Uh, otherwise, I think that what you you end up doing is just being seen as you know grandpa's beer and um, and not sort of interesting or relevant to the modern world. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that analysis. I would say if you look at a brewery like uh, Sierra Nevada, they've done a really good job of, mm-hmm. of maintaining um, a reputation for the brand. Uh, Sierra Nevada's brand is rock solid um, without uh, becoming a fuddy-duddy. They're not regarded as a fuddy-duddy because they continue to introduce new beers that have the same 
brand qualities that right. everybody associates with Sierra right. Nevada. So you see the lineage going all the way back to Pale in Sierra Nevada. Uh, and I, my sense is with a brewery like uh, Guinness, you have extraordinary brand um, uh, potential, but uh, maybe you should focus more on the brand rather than the product itself. So I, I think you know Guinness is a brewery that that's had a, a product that's been changing throughout its entire history. Right. It's it, at its moment of greatest stability now. I mean, this is the longest period of time that Guinness's Guinness draft hasn't changed. Um, but but the Guinness brand name is extraordinarily potent, and um, I think everybody has a uh, big big uh, connection to that. So there's a way in which you can elevate the brand without abandoning your flagship. Yeah, and I think you can accentuate the Irishness. So right. brew new beers that have some connection to Ireland, uh, local ingredients, local tastes, local whatever, local traditions. Uh, play that up. I mean, I'd be interested in seeing what a young craft brewer would come up with uh, located in Dublin uh, and creating something that's sort of new and modern and, and, and reflective of the of the provenance. So that's yeah. what that that's what I would do. That's what I would advise. But I have no data to back it up. Yeah, I don't have any data either because I'm just a beer blogger. But it's but it's I'm actually new, an economist. Well, on the other hand, the other point is that there is no data. I mean, this is a new right. world. All of that's these right. all of these traditional brewers have to have to come up with this. I know that Fuller's, for example, uh, that we visit in England, um, have done a lot of collaborations with sort of new new smaller craft brewers, and that's a way that they can kind of keep their... That's right. They have done a really good job of, of uh, mining their, their archives as well as nurturing relationships with craft breweries. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they're going backwards and forwards at the same time and always trying to find uh, a way to proceed that is consistent with the Fuller's brand. And yeah. I think they've done a wonderful job. It's a great example. I think they're a lot like... Uh, yeah. uh, Sierra Nevada, and they're a brewery that, while other uh, Cascale brands are sliding, Fuller's continues to grow. So yeah. they're, they show that it's possible. Yeah, and I think that you know the one thing you can't do is just keep producing the same beer and and expecting that you're going to be able to maintain your market share. Right, I, I think that's tough. And 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 Boston beer, I think, is a is a cautionary tale. Sam yeah. Adams Lager, uh, Boston Lager, is the thing they've been relying on. And 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 the other the other com- parts of their their brand identity don't seem as consistent with Boston Lager. So they come into this conflict where the brand and the products are not in in uh, harmony, and right. that's a danger. Okay, well, we should wrap up. So yes. thanks again for listening to another edition of the Beer Vana podcast. Uh, we will put our rec our Oregon Brewers Festival recommendations up uh, online at the Beervana blog Facebook page as well as the Beervana blog. Uh, if you want to be in touch, and I hope you will, um, let us know what you think of this year's festival. Um, even from afar, you can look at the list of beers at their uh, uh, webpage. Uh, but you can get in touch with us um, uh, by emailing the underscore beer acts at yahoo.com or visit the Beervana blog Facebook page. And you can always find Jeff blogging about beer at Beervana. Uh, you can uh, see him tweeting about beer at, uh, at Beervana uh, and at All About Beer uh, magazine. And you can find Patrick blogging about beer at his blog, Beeronomics. And you can find him tweeting about beer at, at Beeronomics and also probably tweeting about uh, soccer. So if any, <laughs> if any of that's interesting to you. That's, that's true as well. <laughs> so I will see you next. Uh, Jeff, we will meet again at the at the OBF um, on Wednesday. So I will see you there. Uh, but um, as we go out, uh, we, <laughs> we'll have a toast. Yes. Uh, we have two beers here, as we mentioned. I have the uh, Breakside Passion Fruit Sour. And I'm the Freem... Uh, summer pale summer pale all right so uh, cheers Jeff cheers Patrick